wrapping up our series called Into the Wild. And um, the premise of this series is that God isn't interested in you staying where you're at right now in your journey. He is not interested in you being complacent or stagnant or getting comfortable um, in your faith. Um, he's actually placed a calling on your life, um, which is an, a, mission, it's a mission, an assignment, a direction for your life. For each one of us, it's unique and it's specific to us. Um, and it will require us to step out of our comfort zone and follow him into the wild. And so the question of this series is this, are you willing to take a risk and trust God that if you follow his lead where he wants you to go, that your life will actually be better than if you don't? Kind of the premise of this series. And we ask that because there's a, there's a hurdle, there's a stumbling block that keeps most of us from stepping out into the unknown and taking risks. Um, it keeps us unwilling to, um, uh, to, to really do anything out of the ordinary, and that is uh, fear. It is really a simple four-letter word. It is fear. It keeps us from stepping out and following God. And that video um, showed it perfectly. I think if we were, if we were to bring every one of you up here, um, every one of us, almost every one of us, would have something that we are truly afraid of. That if we really processed it, we would have a legitimate fear of something. And so I just started thinking about my life and, and, and what have I been afraid of in my life, you know, kind of historically. And I just, uh, to be transparent with you, um, I was actually afraid of the dark until I was in my late teens, early 20s. Like legitimately afraid of the dark. I would walk into, before I would walk into a darkened room, I would reach around the corner and flip the switch on before I would walk in. And those, those few moments where I would be kind of had a, have a stride going and I would reach in to flip the switch and would miss and find myself in the couple steps into a room, total freak out. Like I was like, I'm in the dark and it's like scrambling, jumping back to get the switch on. I mean, it was just like whatever I could do. And I, I, I started thinking about where did that start? Like, where did that come from? Well, it goes all the way back to when I was seven or eight years old. I saw the movie Alien with Sigourney Weaver. Anybody see that movie when you were when you're growing up? Okay, um, maybe you've seen it now. It might even look hokey now. I don't mean, because of the way that the, gra the graphics are. But all I know is when I was seven or eight years old, they had sent all the little kids to bed, and the adults were going to watch Alien right about when it came out, late seventies, early eighties. And so I snuck down and I snuck up behind the couch to watch that movie. And I watched the movie from behind the couch where my parents were sitting. And I just got to tell you, seared in my memory, the most scary moment of my life up to that point was when that alien jumped out of that dude's body and started going after everybody. That moment, I was literally frozen with fear, completely frozen with fear, because at seven or eight years old, I know that's not real, but I don't know that's not real. And so I'm just like, I'm frozen in fear. And then I watch the rest of the movie, and all it is is thinking like these people in space walking through the dark, hoping to not get killed by the alien, which they all do, right? And then, then like a little bit, a couple years later, I watched like A Nightmare on Elm Street, and then you can't even sleep after you see that movie. Um, but what happened because of that movie is uh, literally after that night going to bed, I couldn't sleep with the lights off. Couldn't do it. And I'm not going to lie, it is up into my late teenage years. I could not sleep with the lights off because I was afraid of the dark, which started back when I was seven or eight years old. Well, here's what's interesting. Fast forward in my life, I'm, I'm in my late 20s now, and that fear is kind of long gone. Um, somewhere in my late teens, early 20s, I'm, I'm not afraid of the dark anymore. And I find myself about 28, 29 years old. We've got a, Garrett's been born and I'm walking around our house and I'm going to get something and it's completely dark. I can just see kind of the shadows of the moonlight coming through and I'm walking through the house and I realize in that moment, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I used to be terrified of this. 
I used to couldn't even walk in a dark room. And here I am walking around the house and it's not even a thought in my mind of anything fear related. And so here, here's the question. It, is it possible to get to a place in your life where what used to make you afraid about following God, about doing life his way, stepping out, taking a risk, we're doing that doesn't cause fear at all. It's about fearlessness. Is it possible to get to a place in your life where following God's direction for your life is actually met with resolve and determination rather than fear? Is that possible? Now, I know you know the definition of fear, but to keep us all on the same page, I want to look at its definition. Fear is a feeling of anxiety concerning the outcome of something. And it's interesting to me that so much of our fear, it is not centered around the present. It is about the future. You ever thought about that? Most of our fear is about the future. Our greatest fears are what could happen. And because of that, the anticipation and fear of what could happen can bring what is happening to a grinding halt. Our fear of the future can completely stop what is happening in our present. Fear can paralyze us, keep us from going anywhere. I bet if you thought back on your life just a little bit, you could probably point to something that you really felt like you should do, but you were too afraid because the path was, was, wasn't clear enough. The path might not have made enough sense, and so you didn't do it. Well, this is a critical part of overcoming fear in our faith walk because we feel a nudge from God to do something. And we know God gives us a clear next step. It's from God, but because we don't know the whole plan, we're paralyzed. We don't do anything. And out of fear, so often we step back from the adventure that God's inviting us on or that's laid out before us. We step back from it into clear and more secure things because we're so afraid of what could happen. Well, here is the consequence to that. If we miss out on taking the first step, because oftentimes that fear, we won't even take the first step into something that we're uncertain of. If we miss out on the first step, we'll never experience our faith intersecting with God's faithfulness. We'll never experience God showing up because we stepped out in faith in a way that reveals the amazing things that God is calling us to be a part of, that direction, that mission, that, that, that purpose that he has for your life. And so today, um, we're going to look at a person from the Bible uh, that dealt with this exact same problem. And I think by looking at his life, we can kind of get an idea of how God might move us through some of the issues that we have when it comes to fear in the way, same way that he moved this, this person we're going to look at. His name is Joshua um, in the Bible. It's in, he's in the Old Testament. Let me give you a little bit of background. Last week, we looked at Abraham and Sarah, um, if you were here, uh, whom God had promised that, he, that Abraham would be a father to so many people and so many descendants that no one would be able to count them. The problem was is that they were like in their 90s and, and close to 100, and they had, didn't have any kids. And then God, when Abraham was 100 and, and Sarah was 90, actually gave them a kid. I know it's gross. It's like way even past grandma and grandpa age, um, but they have a kid. And uh, so they have Isaac. And from Isaac, you go five generations. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has Levi, Levi has Kohath, Kohath has Amram, which leads us to Moses, and we all know who Moses was, right? Charlton Heston. Um, and so 
you know, many of you, you've heard the story of Moses. You know what happened there. Let me give you a brief synopsis of Moses because Moses gets us to Joshua. Um, Moses was the guy that after 400 years of slavery in Egypt actually led the Israelites out of Egypt into freedom through the parting of the Red Sea. And I don't know if you remember that story. Um, there's all kind of movies out about it, cartoons about it. I'm sure that you've probably heard of it in some way. But God had promised to lead all two million plus Israelites to a land flowing with milk and honey, said they would own the land, they would have cities, they would have their own um, uh, nation. And these were people that had never had anything. All they'd known is slavery. So this is a huge promise. This is a big deal. And how God led them to the promised land out of Egypt was miraculous. By night, he would have a, a pillar of fire for them to follow. During the day, a cloud for them to follow. And so every day and every night, they had God's guidance and direction. Follow the fire, follow the cloud. It took them over a year traveling in the desert throughout that year. God was doing tremendous, miraculous things to sustain them. Every day they would wake up, there was what was called manna on the ground, which were like these little wafer things that gave them all the nutrients that they needed to sustain two million people. Then they complained because there wasn't enough water. God had Moses hit a rock with his stick. Water came out of the rock to give enough water to all two million people. They got tired of eating the, the manna that was on the ground, so they complained they wanted meat. So God literally had quails fly over them and dive bomb to their deaths at their feet so they had meat to eat. I mean, if anybody can trust God, it's these people, right? Like God had shown up day after day after day for a year, telling them where to go, giving them everything that they need. Um, and so they finally get to the brink of the promised land and God stops them and says to Moses, Moses, send out 12 spies into the land to survey it. So Moses sends them out and the whole nation waits on the edge of the promised land for the spies to come back. They're gone for 40 days. I don't know what they were doing for 40 days, but they were gone for 40 days. They go out, survey the land. It's better than what they thought. It's like Costco-sized grapes. There's figs. There's, there's, there's milk and there's honey. I don't know. must have been a lot of cows there. There's honey coming from, from honeycombs. It was beautiful. It was amazing. But they also started to find tribes of people already living there in that land. And what they started learning about the people that were living in the cities is that the Anakites and the Amorites, who were descendants of Goliath, were already living in the land that God had promised to them. So scholars believe that literally they were anywhere from 9 to 11 feet tall, built incredibly muscular like me, really difficult to like scary. I mean, just like they were so imposing. Um, cities full of them. So the spies returned to camp. Imagine you're a family. You've been traveling for a year on this promise that God was going to bring you to a land of milk and honey. The scouts come over the hillside. Um, they, you're, you're sick of eating wafers and kamikaze birds. You don't want anything else to do with that. You want something new. And so they ask the question. The scouts come up. Is, is this it? Is this the promised land? And the scouts respond, yes, this is it. Huge grapes. Figs everywhere. We're never going to be stopped up again. Like this is like, like heaven on earth. You know, there's honey dripping from beehives everywhere we go. It's amazing. But we're not going. What? What do you mean we're not going? We can't go. What do you mean we can't go? There's giants there. They'll kill us. We can't do it. And in Numbers 13, they respond to Moses. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. They had brought some with them. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. When, when we even saw descendants of Anak there, then Caleb, remember that name, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, 
we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and all the assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And I just want to take a moment and talk to you about what's happening in this moment. Fear begins to grip the entire community of people. Rather than face the giants, 10 of the 12 spies came back and afraid. And that fear spread like wildfire because fear is contagious and it gripped them so much. Now listen to this. Fear gripped them so much that they were willing to go back into slavery. They were that afraid. They were willing to give up their freedom and go back to where they came from, back into slavery. That's how powerful fear is if we allow it to take root. It will make us want to go back to places we've all we could think about were leaving when we were there. After 400 years of slavery, they were so afraid. Rather than experience God's promised land, take me back to being controlled by other people. Why? Why did they want to do that? Because they didn't realize that for this promise God gave them, they were going to have to take the land. See, God told them, go in and take the land. They didn't think they were going to have to take the land. They didn't think they were going to have to put in effort. They didn't think they were going to have to fight for it or step out in faith and struggle to get it. And I'll just tell you that some of us in the room, right this very moment, God has made promises to you. God has promised you. He's brought you right to the edge of his promised land that he has for your life. And you have scouted it out. You know what God is calling you to do. But you looked and you didn't realize you were going to have to go take the land. You didn't realize that you were going to have to put in effort to get where God wants you to go. You didn't know that you would have to fight for it and step out in faith and not know the outcome and struggle to get it. So what you saw were too many obstacles. So you still haven't gone for it. You still haven't stepped out in faith. You saw a change of your schedule, that it was just a little fearful to make a change in your schedule right now because things seem so crazy. You saw making a long-term commitment, and that just doesn't fit in my cards right now. You saw taking on responsibility on your shoulders when you already feel like you have so much responsibility on your shoulders. You saw giving up income as a part of God's promised land. You're like, I don't know if I can live if I give up any income. You saw giving up some of your pet sins as part of God's promised land, and you became Became afraid of what your life would be like if you were to do that. So afraid that you would rather live in your safety and security. Maybe even go back to slavery, so to speak, rather than trust God to overcome your fear. That is some of us in this room right now. Because sometimes we just expect God to give it to us. We just expect God to make it easy. We just expect God to, to, to serve it on a platter and offer it up. And if, if it's not like that, then it must not be God. And when he doesn't make it easy and we look at there might be risk to follow God into the wild, into the unknown, we allow fear to hold us back. And because of that, some of us will never see the promised land that God has for us. I'll just tell you, the Israelites, their fear of the unknown resulted in their unwillingness to follow God. 
and their unwillingness to follow God resulted in that entire generation never seeing the promised land, except for two guys, Joshua and Caleb. They were the two that came back and said, we can do it. God's given it to us. Let's go. The only two that did it. They were the two that saw the promised land. And what you find out is that Caleb and Joshua, 40 years later, got to experience God's promised land. They had to wait 40 years because of the fear that gripped the community. So let's fast forward 40 years. We're going to get to Joshua eventually, right? Moses has died. Joshua has established the leader as, as the leader. He's already been the military leader, Moses' right-hand guy. And when the generation died off, God came to Joshua and Caleb said, it's time. It's time for you to take the people into the promised land. And what did God tell him? Go and take the land. That is what God said to Joshua. But he provided very little in the way of direction. And that's just a little side note. When it comes to following God, God is so often very long on invitation and very short on details. You ever notice that? It's like big on the, on the ask. Hey, come follow me the rest of your life. Well, where are we going? I'll tell you as we go. No, 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 I don't want to do that. See, we're backwards. We want God to be short on invitation and long on details, right? We want him to tell us everything, and then we want to decide if we're going to do it or not. And God's like, that's just not how faith works. Faith is trust me, take a step, and I'll show you what you need to know. So you fast forward 40 years, years later, um, Joshua is not interested in attacking. He, does not, he doesn't like put a, a war party together to go take the land without a clear and thought out plan. He's a wise leader. So this is what Joshua did. He found the first step that he could take, and he started moving. He found the first step he could take to take the land, and he started moving. Joshua 2.1, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. Now, we got to hit pause, so i got to tell you about Jericho. Small city, heavily fortified, gateway to the high country, which was where the promised land was. Joshua knew that if their journey was going to be successful, they had to go through Jericho. Without Jericho, no promised land. Now, Rahab, they went to a prostitute's house. Now, most probably, um, she's very used to having a lot of visitors at Rahab's house, so it was an easy place to go where no one would recognize them or see what was going on. Um, and here's what we, what we find is um, a lot of times in the face of too many options or obstacles, we do nothing. Uh, sometimes the best thing we can do is start moving and gathering more information. Sometimes we just need to take a step in a direction and start gathering information um, because oftentimes, especially with God, the next step is actually only revealed after we take the first one. That's how God works. Joshua takes the next step. He sends the spies in. They immediately um, experience opposition. That's exactly what we talked about last week. Anytime you step out in faith following God, you can expect setbacks. You can expect opposition. You can expect some adversity of some sort which they experienced, Joshua 2, verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. So whatever disguise they picked, it wasn't working, right? People knew they were there. They ran into adversity and they find themselves in a really difficult spot because every adventure has adversity. It's part of what makes it an adventure. It's not an adventure if it's all easy. It's an adventure because you don't know if you're going to make it through it. And then God does what he so often does when we step out in faith. God sent someone unexpected to help them. God sent somebody to help them. Verse 4, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. 
And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. And she sends them on a wild goose chase while they're hiding in her home. And as it turns out, what you find out is that God had already sent this woman to help them along the way. Though they had no reason to expect help from a stranger, Rabbi, uh, Rahab actually becomes a pivotal part of the story. And you find her in the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. They're saying, look at this woman that had such faith in God. And I'll just tell you, this right here is one of the ideals that this church was founded on. Kensington was founded on 30 years ago up in Michigan. And we founded this Kensington on nine years ago here. And it's just this idea that when you step out in faith, there are great people waiting to help you. It's this idea that when you are willing to take a step and step out in faith, because God is asking you to, there are just great people that are waiting to help you. You just have to be willing to express the calling and the direction and what you believe God really wants you to do and invite them on the journey with you. And God is, already has great people waiting to help you. So Rahab speaks to the spies before they help them get away. Joshua 2, 9. I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Now hit the pause button. She is reminding them of how faithful God's been to them. Like she's telling them, you remember this stuff that God did? We're scared of you. Why? Because God's on your side. And she goes on, when we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. And what you find is in their spy, in the spy's greatest moment of need, God revealed to them how he had already been working behind the scenes. He had already been at work on this issue, preparing, maneuvering, um, planning. Because they were... Scared to death of them. God had already been planting that seed in their enemy's mind so that when Israel showed up, they would run away from them. But Israel, the people of Israel had no idea that God had already been at work. So they find out that God has already been at work and that he sent some great people to help them. And then God reveals that that's the path they are to take. Like in talking with Rahab, they realize, oh my God. You are already at work. You are already making this happen. And so this is kind of to make it memorable. This is just memorable. This is just something that I want you to remember, maybe even write down. But it's this. When you and I step out in faith, God reveals the path to take. When you and I step out in faith, God reveals the path to take. Because often God gives us the next step of faith once we've taken the first one. And that's what the, 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 the spies are finding out. They took the first step. They went and took. They, they went and saw the land. They worked on making a plan. They were they were spying out the land and looking at it. And they find that God has already been been uh, behind the scenes at work, and He's now giving them their next step. That God is with them. That Jericho is the place to go. And the truth is, God does this all the time with uh, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. He says, "Go to Damascus, and I'll tell you what to do when you get there." All Paul had to do was obey. Moses, take your army and your people and camp beside the Red Sea, and I'll tell you what to do from there. And God took care of the rest. Jonah, go to Nineveh, and when you get there, I'll tell you what to do. God has a habit of doing that in the scriptures, but also for us in our life. It happened with Melissa and I um, when we realized uh, 11 years ago, 11, 12 years ago, that God may be calling us 
us to come here to Florida to start this church. Um, I had been at a huge church in Michigan for seven years as the youth pastor and teaching pastor and had a great career there. It was like an NFL of churches. It was like, man, you could finish your career there and be really happy. I had an amazing job. And, um, and all of a sudden, Melissa and I start feeling like, man, we might, this, this Orlando thing, I think we need to check it out. God may be asking us to do something new with our lives. We just had that sense that that could be what he's calling us to do. And um, when I told my immediate boss at the church uh, at Northridge at Kensington, uh, they had actually wanted to send us here to come visit and to spy out the land. We were like the two spies. Like, they're like, go down there and see if that's where God wants you to go. I didn't want to go without telling Northridge that that's what was happening. I didn't, I didn't want to go under false pretenses and say, hey, I'm going on vacation, when really I'm going to see if this is where God wants us to go because I might be moving. And so I told my boss, I was great friends with him. I said, hey, just so you know, his name was Kevin. So he's a great guy, of course. Um, and so, uh, you know, I told him and I just said, hey, this is what we think God may be asking us to do, but we're not sure. And Kensington wants to send us down to Florida to check it out and pray and ask him. And his response to me was, man, that's awesome for you. Don't tell anybody else. Like, that's exactly what he said. Don't tell, don't tell the executive pastor. Don't tell the senior pastor. And, and it, why? Because we had watched people for five to seven years um, leave really badly or say that they weren't loyal or say that they were thinking about going someplace else. And they were just canned. Some of them, like, within a couple of weeks, they didn't have a job. Um, sometimes sooner, just people didn't leave there very well. And the organization didn't really look well at people that were disloyal. And so my boss, Kevin, said, don't do it. Don't tell anybody. But I'm like, I can't not because I don't want to go with false pretense. I don't want them to find out later that all along this was the plan because I respected them. And so I went and talked to, uh, it was a scary thing because I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to have a job. And I, we're not even close to saying yes to this Orlando thing or Kensington at all. All I know is that I need to tell them. And so I go meet with my boss's boss, whose name is Kevin, great guy. Um, believe it or not, three Kevins in a row. Um, so I go talk to my boss's boss, the executive pastor, who I had a good relationship with. And I just said, Kev, here is what we think God's doing. We don't know if this is where he wants us to go, but something's going on. And so I wanted you to know and, and, and make sure that you knew when I left to go on this trip that that's why we're going. And I didn't know what I was going to get, you know, and it was so cool because, again, when you take a step of faith, God, so often he confirms the path that he wants you to take. My boss, Ke my boss's boss, Kevin, um, the CEO or yeah, CFO of, of the whole place, um, he basically says, ah, he's like, man. He's like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really sad to hear that you're contemplating that, but I'm excited for you. He's like, I've always known that you were going to be a lead pastor of a church someday, and I know that we don't have that opportunity here, and we probably won't for a good another eight to ten years. And he's like, he's like, I think this could be it for you. I think you need to go check it out. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm not fired? Yay. Um, in fact, he, he's like, I give you my blessing. Yes, please go. And, and, he, and he even said this. He said, and if you go and that's not it, we, we are so thankful that you're here. You have a job here as long as you want to be here. And it was just really one of those cool moments. Well, I, it's good to tell the, the executive pastor. Now I got to go tell the senior pastor, right? And so, of course, I scheduled that meeting. Um, it, you know, and my boss's boss, my boss, so many Kevins involved. My immediate boss was like, he said what? He's like, I've never heard that happen in the history of this church. And I'm like, I know, right? God's doing something special. So I go and tell the senior pastor and I meet with him and it is almost an identical conversation. He actually says to me, he's like, you know, he's like, I've been wondering how much longer you're going to be here. I'm like, really? He's like, I know this is the giftedness that you have and you need to go out and lead a church somewhere. And I know that we don't have that for you here anytime soon. And so he's like, I want you to go and I give you my blessing. And he says the same thing. And if you go and it's not what if then that's not it he's like we are excited to have you here and you can be here as long as you want to be it's like i just got blessing after blessing and what was god doing in that moment what was he doing confirming the path 
just saying you were willing to take one step, a hard step, that you could have lost your job. Now I'm going to reveal to you that you're on the right path. He confirmed it. He did the same thing for the Israelites. The spies come back and they tell everyone, hey, everyone's afraid of us. They are like, fill in their drawers, just hear our name. Let's go. We can take them. Like, we got this. How do they know that? Because as we take a step of faith, God loves to reveal to us that we're on the right track. Do you know God doesn't want you walking around in the dark going, is this it? Am I going the right direction? He loves to confirm the fact that you took a step. He loves to confirm that the path you're on is the path that he had you on. So we come down here, and this is where God just made it almost a slam dunk when we come down here to find out. We, we were down here, I think, for like five or six days. Um, and uh, we actually came to Winter Garden, and we went to a church service on the Sunday that we were here at Real Life in Claremont. We, we go to church out there, and at the time, they were this little bitty church out there. They're, like, massive now. Uh, but they were in this small building, and, uh, and there's a guest speaker that day. So we didn't even hear the senior pastor speak, Justin, or the next guy in line. There was a guest speaker that day, and he started talking. And as he started talking, he started talking about following God's calling and plan for your life. And he, he starts talking about, how do you know? How do you know that God's calling you to do something? How do you know that you're on the right path to following God wherever he leads you? And I'm looking at Melissa going, dude, I can't believe he's talking about this. And then he tells a story about Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists of our time, um, he starts talking about Billy Graham and how Billy Graham was asked, how do you know when God's calling you to do something? And Billy Graham answers, and these were so impactful to Melissa and I in that moment. I wrote them down, and they have been a guiding principle for me. I've taught them so many times and, uh, that, that it's just it's, it's amazing how, um, how God works. Um, Billy Graham answers, he says, when you're called, four things will happen. He says, first, once it's sparked, you can't get it off your mind. You can't stop thinking about it. It's just there, and it's, 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 it's ever-present. It's constantly something that you're thinking about. There might even be excitement growing. Secondly, he says the doors just open up for you. You don't have to pry them open or push them. God opens them up ahead of you, not to hand the end result to you on a platter, but he starts opening doors to you that weren't open before. Like we started telling people that God might be calling us to this, and people started saying they were coming with us before we were even committed. We're like, they're like, we're going to Orlando with you. We're not going to Orlando. That's okay. We're going anyways. We'll see you there. I'm like, well, we're not going. So God just started basically bringing people along. Doors just started opening. Northridge was saying, yes, whatever you need, we're willing to let the process go and, and figure out a way to transition you. Kensington was like, we think this is where God wants us to do a, a campus someday. Um, so step two, step three is the, those close to you that know you affirm the decision those close to you that know you kind of affirm that that yeah this sounds like a god thing this sounds like a way a direction that god might be calling you and then the fourth one is you find out that you're uniquely qualified for it you are uniquely qualified for what god is calling you to and i'll just tell you is on this trip when we came down here to spy out the land that god said to melissa and i this is it that was it we knew that week, we're like, oh my goodness, God just confirmed everything. All the questions we had, God just said, this is it. And we trusted God. And I am so grateful that we did. I can't imagine my life without you in it, without this church um, being something that we're a part of. You guys have blessed us. I can't believe still that God has made so much life change happen here over the last nine years. And has it been easy? No, because we're having to take the land. And we're still having to take the land. But we know that we're right in the middle of God's will for our life. 
And so I want to close with something, um, just a couple of thoughts. But before I do, we want to receive our offering. And so ushers, if you guys can go ahead and come forward. Um, and I'll just say this. For those of you that um, are new, you're visiting here first, second time, a few times. Um, we are just, this moment is the only moment in the service not for you. Let the basket go by. We're not interested in your money. We're just grateful that you're here. We're thankful that you're spending some of your Sunday morning with us. Um, for those of you that call Kensington home, this is where you give back to God from what he's blessed you with. And here it really is an act of faith and trust in God that if you give to him from what he's given to you, that he will bless you because of it and he'll take care of your needs. That is his promise when we give to him. So for those of you that give, thank you for supporting the mission we're on and the direction that we're going in, especially this time of year as we're coming in. This is the last month of our budget year, uh, which ends at the end of this month. So thank you for those of you that support us. Um, but I want to close, close with this. Um, when it comes to following God with your life and being afraid, when it comes to fear of the future and fear of the direction that God might be wanting you to step into, um, I just want to say this. You don't need a whole big faith for the journey. This really comes down to, to kind of the size of, of your God, if I put it in just simple words. If your God's really small and he's not very competent and he doesn't have your life in his hands and he doesn't know the direction that he wants you to go, if you, if you believe in a small God, you need a whole lot of faith to follow him and to take a next step. But if you know God and you realize how big God is, all you need is a little faith to take that one next step. You don't need faith for the whole journey. You just need faith for the next step. And that little faith and a big God gets you to the place where God can do things in your life that weren't possible without you taking that step, without you taking that direction, without you moving and doing what you could do so that you could see what God might have for you. And I'll just tell you this, when you take that step, God speaks to us through his word in Isaiah 41, verse 10. God says, don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And so let me give you two application steps. One is this. If you have never trusted God with your life, you've never invited Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior, and you know that doing that is your next step. That's the one step God is asking you to do. And you've been afraid of taking that step. Maybe you've held back because you can't see the future of what your life might be like if you gave up and surrendered to God. You can't see that, so you've been afraid. But today, you're like, no, I have to do this. God is asking me to take a step of faith. And all I need is enough faith to take this step. And if that's you and you are ready to accept Jesus Christ into your life and you're ready to be transformed by him, I want to give you the opportunity to do it right now. And so with every head in here bow and every eye closed, um, if that's you and this is your next step and, and it is time and God is saying right now he's tapping you on the heart and this is, this is it, I just want to invite you to pray with me, make my words yours. You don't have to, to there, there's nothing special about the words other than the posture of your heart. You don't have to say them out loud, just from your heart to God's. You can maybe say something like this. God, I want to thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. 
I place my faith and my trust in him. I pray that you'll forgive me of my sins. And I pray that you'll give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face all the challenges I'm up against. Give me the strength to take the next step of faith that you're putting before me. Because God, I surrender my life to you. In your holy name, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I just want to encourage you to do two things. One is tell somebody so that they can be on the journey with you. And two, I want you to stop at starting point and tell them because we want to give you a Bible and help you know how we can come alongside. There's a devotional there and just kind of start helping you grow in your faith and get started on the journey. But there's a second application point I want to give to those of you that are kind of following God and maybe your faith is a little bit tired right now. Maybe you're just not feeling like God's active in your life. Um, or maybe just fear is really overwhelming right now about all kinds of things. I want to give you something to pray over the next seven days. If you pray it every day, I believe God will really change your outlook and the way you look at your life. And it's three statements. You can write them down, take a picture of the screen. But the first one is this. I won't focus on what could be because that brings fear. God, I won't focus on what could be. I choose to see what should be. And that is that God is already at work on your behalf. God already has a path planned out for your life, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. And if you will join him in it, it'll be better than anything else you could do on your own. And finally, I will trust in a God who loves me. That God loves you so much that he, first of all, created you and has a plan for your life that can't wait for you to join him in it. And I believe if you'll take the time to pray that over the next seven days, I believe you'll start to shift the way you see the world and God might start showing up in some pretty substantial ways and start showing you what the next step is that he has for your life.